right. So last time I talked about the Porsche Dakar and the Lamborghini Storato, the safari-styled uh, Porsche by the Germans, and the Storato being the Italians' uh, entry to the to that particular genre. I think it's cool. I'm stoked for it. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever see one. Uh, I best I get both of them are pretty low production. The Lamborghini based on the Huracan, which I, I believe is, is set to be updated soon. So uh, I'm sure that it's going to be a low production model. But it'll be, I think it's a cool idea. It makes a lot of sense. Like I said last time, um, I also talked about how I was like seeing rumors that Ford might do a GT version. I hope they don't. Uh, it does make sense, I guess, price point wise when you compare the other two, but I think that the genre would be better served by a raptorized Mustang, uh, which I, I don't, I kept thinking about it, and I know I never said the actual term, like a, a Mustang Raptor or a Raptor Mustang, however however Ford would want to word it, uh, but I think it, it makes a lot of sense. If you had to pick something out of the Ford line to give the Safari treatment, the Mustang, I think, is where it's at. I think it would be, if they did it as like a low production thing, you'd have the collector scrambling to get a hold of one. Um, so I'm sure they would sell pretty quickly. But I also think that, you know, for guys like me that live in areas where the roads aren't great, uh, I do travel, you know, throughout California quite a bit, as much as I can. And there are places, especially when you start getting into... Uh, you know, San Francisco or LA or, you know, even parts of where I live in, in Northern California where, you know, there's, there's potholes and uneven surfaces and, you know, some roads are great for a mile and then they go to shit. Uh, I think a safari, you know, based performance car that was relatively affordable to the rest of us where, you know, the Porsche or Lambo version is not, I think it could be a lot of fun. I think they'd make some money on that. So, uh, Chevy obviously has the Camaro. Uh, they make a lot less of the Camaro than they do of the Mustang, and Ford is making that huge push uh, with the upcoming new generation Mustang to get into racing. Uh, they're already doing off-road racing with the Bronco and the Raptor, so adding the Mustang, you know, could just be another feather in that particular cap. But anyway, I think it'd be cool. Raptor Mustang, I'm for it. Uh, hope you guys are too. If not, you know, let me know. Be interesting to see what you think. Uh, what car, if you were going to safari something, you know, or if you were going to recommend to a manufacturer that they safari a particular car, uh, and it, you don't think the Mustang's the one, what, what do you think would be better? Uh, so Subaru's doing a hell of a job with everything they make. Uh, they're not calling it safari, but I mean, they're definitely finally offering lifted Subarus off the showroom floor and they're selling them like you know pretty good i see them everywhere at least where i live so um there is some market for it in the states and obviously porsche agrees and uh, so does lamborghini so i don't know let me know what you guys think I had initially intended for this next section uh, of the podcast to be included in the last podcast, and then I got kind of weird about it, and I pulled it out, and then um, I got some more guys that, um, and, and a few ladies, which I was kind of stoked on, reached out to me asking me about 
my gastric surgery and how it was going. Uh, and then, so I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put it back in. And so I apologize that the continuity is a little weird. Uh, but the next section is just talking about, um, about that. Uh, it's kind of a personal thing, which I'm weird about, but if you don't want to listen to it, there's more car stuff after. Uh, but thanks again for those that, that do listen to it. If you have questions or if you, you know, want to, if you're going through it yourself and you want to talk about it, um, let me know. I mean, so many people have been so great as I, I do mention, uh, but it's, it's meant a lot to me how much support I've gotten from, uh, not just, you know, the automotive community, uh, through the Facebook page in general, but in person, you know, at shows. And I, I really only posted one time. Um, I'm just amazed at how many people paid attention, but anyway, uh, that's what the next section's about, and uh, if you want to hear it, I get it. If you know, if you don't, if you're not interested, that's fine. I promise that's not the new direction of the lowered. But I just wanted to put it in there to thank the people that have been so good to me and asking questions about it. So anyway, the next section is going to be that. More car stuff will follow. I promise. Okay, guys, so I'm not going to talk about car stuff in this one section, and I so I apologize up front. Um, I don't like talking about my personal stuff that much. Um, it's weird. Uh, I don't know why I'm so self-conscious about it. Some people can't share enough, but that's just, like, not me. Um, I can talk about car shit all day long. <laughs> um, but for some reason, this is, like, awkward. So, again, I apologize up front, but... I've had a bunch of guys um, come up to me at different shows um, over the over the last year, and um, I've had a lot of guys reach out to me uh, through the Facebook page or through my web page or on Instagram about it, and uh, it just felt like I mean it. I guess it's the right thing to do. So um, first of all, I want to thank first of all I want to thank everybody that has reached out. Um, I really appreciate the the care and the kindness and the support that I've gotten um, and for all the guys that are going through it I, it's weird um, but basically what I'm talking about is like weight loss so um, what ha basically I grew up in a semi rural area in Northern California uh, I've always been a big kid um, I was six foot before I graduated or before I got out of elementary school so pretty big dude and uh, I, my family had a little bit of land. Uh, they started, you know, doing like small ranch type shit. And so I did that labor. Um, and I was pretty good at it. And so I st basically ended up being a, a foreman for four or five other small ranches. Um, so I spent a lot of time moving feed and stacking hay and, you know, moving livestock around and dicking around with fence lines and pens and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, when you're already a big kid and you do a lot of labor, you, you eat like a big kid that does a lot of labor. Uh, ended up working for like different warehouse companies and uh, at a lumber yard for a while. So when I, you know, just living life, having motorcycles and working those kind of jobs, you end up hurting yourself a lot. Um, 
if you're <laughs> not graceful and unlucky and in some ways like I have been, um, had a few motorcycle accidents, a couple car accidents, had a, uh, broke my neck, uh, ended up having back surgery, have nerve damage. Um, so when I made the transition from labor jobs to the tech industry and, you know, basically sitting in a cubicle all day, living a canned ham lifestyle, um, you know, start, just start packing on the weight and it got to a point where I was, you know, even when I was trying to, to work out and trying to, to eat right, I would end up hurting myself and then I would lose, you know, the stamina I'd built up and I would regain the weight and, um, you know, long story short, you know, I got, you know, into, I got about like 540, 550 pounds um, but I'm six foot six, you know, so I, I'm a big old fat fuck, but I carry it, carry, even then carried it okay. Um, but I've got kids and, um, you know, like I said, my, my dad passed, a, passed away before he got to meet my kids. And, um, you know, I was thinking about conversations I had with my dad and how I didn't remember my grandfather and my dad didn't remember his grandfather and I was starting to see a trend and I wasn't super stoked about it. So, uh, I made a few attempts and, um, I kind of bitched out a few times before I made it all the way through. Um, but I did ultimately make it all the way through. I got the surgery. Um, they tell you when you go through the surgery, you most people lose about a hundred pounds and then that's where you're at, you know, and you just kind of try and maintain that. Um, I've been pretty lucky. I've lost, um, about 177, 178 pounds. Um, I'm still fluctuating. I go up and down, but I'm still, you know, trending down. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's been good for me. Um, it's not without drawbacks. Um, I don't know that I'd recommend it to anybody if they are able to do it, you know, to do it the right way to, to work out or to, you know, get a personal trainer or, you know, whatever, whatever works, other paths work for you. Um, but it's been, it's been, I would say largely good for me. Um, I mean, I could joke about it more, I guess. Um, but it just doesn't feel, I don't know. It doesn't feel right to do that when so many people have been so earnest about it and, uh, you know, asking me their questions, I want to be as serious about this, I guess, I, as I can. Um, it does feel weird when you're going through the process. It feels like it's, you know, at least it did to me as a guy. It felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, you know, it's you're gonna be surrounded mostly by women uh, your age and probably older. Uh, most of the questions that they ask you when you're going through the process um, made kind of made me feel more like I wasn't supposed to be there. Um, because they feel like they're not questions that guys ask each other. So it's weird. Um, you know, and they, they make you talk to a nutritionist and, um, I don't know. It's weird. Cause they make a lot of assumptions about you. Like, um, I had to meet with a bunch of nutritionists and they always say, okay, well, you know, if you do this, you're, you're going to have to stop drinking soda. Well, I don't drink soda. And they're like, okay, well, you're going to have to quit smoking. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't smoke. I never have. And they're like, oh, 
okay, well, like, how did, how did this happen? And, you know, you tell them and they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, okay, well, what's your goal weight? And it's like, I'm not, it's hard to say this in a way that doesn't sound like chauvinist, but I'm not a teenage girl. I'm not trying to look good for like in a bathing suit. Like this isn't a vanity project for me. Like I'm just trying to be around for my kids, you know, like I'm, I mean, I can't tell from this particular segment, but I'm generally a pretty funny guy. You know, I've, I've got a bit of charisma. I'm jovial. Um, you know, I get along all right. Uh, I didn't, being fat never stopped me from getting laid in the past. You know, I wasn't doing this because I'm trying to be looking good in a swimsuit. I just wanted to, to live longer. Um, I guess that's not an answer that they get a lot. Um, but that was my answer to, to those questions. So, yeah, it's a it's a weird process, man, when you go through it. Um, but I, I if basically, I guess to to make a long story short, you know, if if you can if you can lose weight any other way, do that first. Um, you know, the surgery sucks. Um, you really do have to learn to eat again. Um, all the stuff that they told me that I was not going to be able to eat at all. I eat just fine. All the stuff they told me that would be easy for me to eat was like eating cement. Um, it's weird. Like, I'm the opposite of what everybody said. Um, you know, they told me I'd only lose 100 pounds. I'm, you know, I'm almost at one, I'm almost, almost to the eight, 180s, you know. So I think, like everything, um, this type of surgery is what you make it. Um, I definitely could and should be doing better. Um, I still am in the tech industry. I still do not move as much as I should. Although because of the weight loss, I am able to move a lot more, a lot faster. So I don't know. Um, I, I know that's that. I mean, I'm happy to answer more specific questions. Um, most people had like a general like, hey, how's the weight loss going? Or, you know, how are you feeling about it? You know, type questions. But uh, I've also had some guys come up to me that went through the surgery and it didn't work out for them. You know, they, they gained the weight back, which is something I'm I'm worried about. Um, but that worry is 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 honestly kept me vigilant, you know, and it's it stopped me from, you know, going back to some of the habits that I had. So maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. Um, but I really appreciate, um, you know, the kind words. I really appreciate, um, you know, guy, they, all you guys that have reached out to me and at shows in person or, you know, even through the, you know, either my Facebook page or my, uh, website or through the Instagram. This, this isn't something that guys really talk about. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's weird, but, you know, we, we should, and, um, I don't think it makes you, like, less manly or whatever to want to be around for your kids, um, you know, or to, you know, be a better husband or a better boyfriend or, um, just be better for yourself, you know, and not feel shitty all the time. I mean, I still feel shitty a, a good amount of the time. <laughs> um but it's it's better you know so i don't know i'm not sure i've i don't know i hope i've i've answered 
you know, what the, you guys were looking for. If you, you want something more specific or if you want to talk about it or, you know, reach out to me, um, I'm always happy to, to pay it forward. I've had so many, uh, so many guys, uh, both in my family and, uh, friends and like, you know, guys that I've met through running the Lord that have been amazing to me. Uh, and if I can pay that forward, I, I, I will absolutely do that. Um, I really appreciate, you know, all the support you guys have given me. So, um, yeah, I'm rambling now. <laughs> I'm going to try and stop that shit. Uh, I really, yeah. So this is the la last podcast, I think, of the year. So I, I wanted to make sure I got this out there for you guys. Um, all right, back to the car shit. Okay, so in alignment with what you guys were asking for for the next podcast and for the first podcast of 2023, uh, I normally post and have been for you know past years a kind of a state of the union, and it made sense to do it in podcast form this time. So uh, the next part of the podcast is going to be kind of like the stories that you guys have been asking me about, like how how did I get. Um, each of my vehicles, like where did they come from? Uh, where are they at now? Like, uh, and maybe like what's next for them. So, uh, start off by talking about my first car, which I still have. Uh, follow that with my green hardtop and then the Buick. I am leaving Trucky Verde out of this podcast because I have a whole podcast planned where I'm gonna, you know, roll talk with Matt and the guys at TBR and. Um, you know, talk about all the the new motor and everything that we've done to it so far. So um, I know guys have been asking me about that one a lot, and I appreciate it. And I really have been dying to tell you, but um, I I really want to to do that with Matt. Uh, the guys did such a, so much work, and and it came out so great. Uh, but anyway, so this is just the the car auto the car portion of the fleet, really. So. I hope you guys enjoy. So the car I probably post the least amount of because I just don't drive it and it's kind of in pieces. I'm still collecting things to get it put back together is my first car. It's a 1966 Galaxy 500 convertible. Uh, it wasn't supposed to be my first car. Uh, my dad and I had done a few Cadillacs, uh, 69 and 70 Coupe de Ville's uh, convertibles and hardtops. And then he had uh, been driving his 70 Coupe de Ville hardtop to just screwing around town. And some guy caught him at a gas station and started talking to him about it. And then I guess followed him back to our place and saw the two convertibles and made him an offer on both convertibles he couldn't pass up. So uh, I came home one day and all the Cadillacs were gone. Uh, I think the hardtop went up to his, one of his sisters in Washington. Uh, the two convertibles got bought by this same guy. No idea where they went or who that guy was. I never saw him. I just wasn't around uh, at the time. And so a car that I had been working on and building with my dad, you know, thinking it was going to be my first car, this triple black 69 Coupe de Ville convertible, fucking gone. Um, man, I was heartbroken. And turn, uh, long story short, 
my I ended up getting this 66 Galaxy convertible as its replacement. And I was looking through papers and you know how it is when you don't have money, the world's your oyster, anything you want, you can find, everything is, you know, right to hand. But the second that you've got money to spend, all that shit disappears. I can't find anything. So I was going through papers and at the time, this is before, you know, the internet was what it is now. Um, shit, I think I was still carrying a pager at the time, if that tells you anything. Um, I just happened to look in the in the B. Uh, we'd been looking at Impalas. Man, I wanted Impala so bad. And I really didn't care. 62, 63, 64, 65. Like, if I could find a clean two-door Impala, um, not even a Super Sport, man, I would have been over the moon. Uh, and I, we just could not find one. Every time we went and looked at one, they were just garbage. And the final straw was... Uh, Jeez, it was, I think it was all the way in Chico. I called on this 64 Impala. It was a super sport. And my dad, you know, I, I didn't have a car. So my dad was going to have to drive me to look at it. And I, my dad got on the phone with a guy. And the, and my dad was like, look, you know, this is really far for us to drive. Doesn't have any body damage. You know, and again, before internet, before cell phones. So he couldn't send us any pictures of it. And... So we get in the truck and my dad drives me all the way out to like Chico and we get to this guy's house and in his front yard is a 64 Impala that looks like it got hit by a train. I mean, from right behind the driver's rear wheel to the rear bumper, it, it looked like somebody had tried to turn it into a taco. Like it was just destroyed. And my dad was so pissed. I like remember looking at him from the passenger seat looking at this wrecked 64 and looking back at him and the steering wheel was like flexing in his grip he was so pissed at this guy we didn't even stop we turned around drove all the way home and uh so that was on the way home dad calmed down and he's like well look you know you've been looking at these impalas you know what are you going to do this impala that is going to set it apart from all the other Impalas we see when we go to these, you know, lowrider and, you know, local car shows. And I was like, oh, shit, you know, because I'm just a regular kid. I'm working a regular job. Like, I don't have money to pop this sucker off the frame and have the frame wrapped and chrome everything and candy paint everything that's not chrome. So I was like, oh, shit you know i'm not going to be able to compete with these other guys like what else out th what else is out there um at the time you know 65 or buicks well any first gen buick was just unattain unattainable they were they were even more expensive than impalas and so i was like well what do you recommend like what else is out there and my dad was like well why aren't you looking at galaxies and i honestly they'd never been on my radar before then and so i started looking at them Found this one in the paper, and I, the it was a, a younger married couple that was selling it. And I can't remember, I think it was the wife's car. And they were starting a family, and they wanted it to go to, you know, somebody young that would enjoy it. And they met us at a local uh, 50s diner out in a little town called Wilton, uh, called Burt's. And so we showed up at like the witching hour and they had the top down and, you know, the sun was going down. It was that, that perfect time of day that any automotive photographer like will tell you that's when you want to shoot your car. 
Well, that's when we showed up to look at it, and there she was, like, stretched out in front of this 50s diner with all that, you know, neon light, like, and the perfect light from the sunset. Like, I I was like, all right, that's the one. Uh, Wimbledon white car, red interior, white top, skinny white walls. Uh, other than that, pretty much stock. And uh, the deal was struck, and so I picked it up, and, you know, it was my first first car. So, you know... All those first adventures that you have in your car are, you know, that's that's what it was. And then uh, how she ended up in the state she's in now, uh, I was on my way. I was at a party, house party with a bunch of my buddies. And I was I was such a jerk. Like, I didn't want any of these guys puking in my car. So I was like super policing them, you know, making sure that nobody was getting crazy. Um, everybody was being chill. Nobody was drinking too much. And then we got in my car at the end of the party. Everybody was cool. We go to drive home and I got hit by a drunk. <laughs> so <laughs> I would have much rather one of those assholes puked in the car than this guy ran a red light. And he, uh, I was making a left-hand turn through an intersection and he hit me in the nose and then fishtailed and got me in the rear passenger quarter panel as well. So the car was fucked and, you know, it was still drivable. I drove it home. He, it, at the time, he told me he didn't have a license, didn't have insurance. Uh, this was also still pre-cell phone. So it wasn't like we could just call the cops to show up. And it was late at night, early morning. So no cops were around. Um, so basically, he just walked away, you know, and that was the end of it. And I had insurance. I was going to turn it into my insurance, but, you know. Being a, a new driver, my parents didn't want me to do that uh, and, and raise the rates. So I ended up just living with it. Uh, my dad was amazing. He's a super cool guy. I'm so lucky to have had the father that I did. Um, he, on his own, what happened to be up at this... I don't remember where he was at. I think it was in Oregon. And he came across this wrecking yard and stopped in and they happen to have a 66 galaxy and i didn't find this out until um really after he passed and it's really like him to do something like this but i found out from one of his buddies that in order to get to this galaxy it was like surrounded by uh blackberry bushes and there was a the guy that ran the junkyard told him if he crawled through this tunnel that the the dogs that lived in the junkyard had made through this blackberry bush. If he got to the other side, there was a 66 galaxy in there. Um, and I think it turned out to be an LTD, but, um, so my old, my old man got down on his belly and pushed his, his, his toolbox in front of him all the way through this tunnel, through these blackberries and took uh, the front fender and the suspension, and, well, the front fender, and then there was a 500XL grill or LTD grill um, that was in that, and he got he got them both. And, you know, he had to do it all crawling through this blackberry bush. Just totally, totally like him. He was always, he's always there for me. Real good dude. Uh, but, you know, put that back on the car. The rear quarter panel was still looking like shit. And uh, so I couldn't afford to go to a body shop. I looked around and I found an RO, like a, a local work experience class um, at the this Air Force base that was nearby us that they'd shut the Air Force base down and there was all this 
you know, trying to figure out what to do with it. And one of the things they did in one of the buildings was they let this guy come in and teach an auto body class. So I took the class and I did terrible work. It's still on the car. Um, it, it's, I, I feel bad for whoever's going to have to fix it because it's dog shit. But, you know, it's the kind of dog shit work you do when you don't have any real instruction and you're, you know, just trying to figure shit out when you're 17. So, um, she's pretty rough looking. Uh, after that, I ended up parking her. Uh, my parents had this like little side garage and, um, I thought I just broke my heart every time I saw it, you know, that it was such a nice car when I got it. And then that drunk guy hit me and a few other little things happened and, it just really bothered me every time I saw it that I couldn't afford to fix it uh, the way I wanted to. So uh, I parked it in this little side garage and, you know, life goes on. And probably, geez, like 15, 20 years later, I had built the Green Galaxy. I had bought the Green Galaxy as a parts car to fix the convertible. But the Green Galaxy hardtop was so good I couldn't bear to, to cut it up. And it ended up being what it is now. Uh, you know, probably the car. You, if you follow me on the lowered uh, Facebook page or the Instagram or you know the the blog, I'm, you've seen it. I post it all the time. It's, it's probably the car I'm most known for. Um, yeah, I just couldn't bear to to mess with it. So she just sat. The convertible just sat and sat. And you know, I pick up parts for it here and there and kind of go in the garage and put them in the car and. You know, she's still waiting her turn. And then a real good buddy of mine, Derek, who was working for AccuAir at the time, the the first company, not uh, before the, the company folded the first time, he said, hey, I'm not I'm not at AccuAir anymore. I'm going to kind of do my own thing. Like, if you still got that piece of shit convertible on the side of your parents' house, get it running and bring it down to me and I'll bag it for you. And I was like, well, shit, I can't pass that up. You know, so I reached out to Hotchkiss because all the suspension in that car is shot. And I got one of the TVS suspension systems minus springs and shocks. And uh, while I was waiting for that to come in the mail, uh, and I, I worked with Patrick over there at Hotchkiss who, who hooked me up. He was a really nice guy. And I'm going to, I'll be buying another kit for them from them, I hope, soon. For, we're going to do the hardtop too. But, um, you know, for the price of what I would have spent on, you know, finding the right bushings, having the bushings pressed out, put back in and then rebuilding the stock suspension. I got all that shit and modern architecture, you know, front and rear suspension from Hotchkiss. So couldn't pass it up. And so that while I was waiting for that shit to come in the mail, I took it to another local shop and, uh, you know, had the engine flushed and got a new radiator and like got the car running again. And, uh, I mean, it's not running great, but <laughs> it's got a 352 interceptor in it. That's, you know, it's been sitting for a long time, so it, it doesn't run fantastic, but it was running, you know, forward and back. And so I had, I got to drive it back from that shop, you know, for the first time in probably 20 years. Um, uh, Put it on a trailer, drove it down to my buddy Derek's place, and he had it for a while. I wasn't in any rush. Um, he tried to talk me into ordering, uh, letting him order all the brakes for it, because he he was pulling the suspension out of it anyway. Why not convert it to you know disc brakes? And Willwood makes a, from what I understand, makes a really nice kit. But I just didn't, you know, 
I just couldn't swing it on top of everything else. So uh, Derek modified the suspension. So to my knowledge, my convertible is the first, uh, the first one to have the Hotchkiss TVS system modified for air suspension. And then I got one of the last uh, Endo CVT in tank pump kits that AccuAir made before they folded. And I know I've heard a lot of complaints and a lot of guys had issues with them, but even though I, I almost never drive that, I, I very rarely, if ever, drive that car. And if I do drive it, I'm just idling it around the neighborhood, dicking around. I am amazed at how much better the, the, that, that particular system is than my, the system I have in my, my hard top, uh, even the system I have in my truck, um, that, the Endo CVT system is fantastic. Uh, I, Reno is definitely onto something with that shit. And I understand that the new company that is putting them out, I understand that the new stuff is like far and away better and more reliable. Uh, I'm, I'm can't wait to, to switch the hard top over to that. Eventually if Derek's listening, hint, hint, <laughs> he's back with them now. So, um, Eventually, I'll switch the hardtop to one of those systems. But as for right now, that's where the convertible's at. Uh, I never did pick up the brakes for it. I ended up doing some more work to the to the hardtop, and then I put the new motor in Truckee Verde, which I'm really hoping to do a podcast about soon. Um, but yeah, that that's where the convertible's at. She's my first car. I'll never sell her. Um, I have been reaching out to different, looking for different body shops. I don't want to do a body off you know, on it, I, I just want to, to get to a body shop that, that kind of understands the vibe I'm looking for, you know, get the body dialed in, get it straight, get it back to what it needs to be. Um, I don't know if I want to paint it back Wimbledon white, or if I want to match it green to my hard top yet, but I, I can kind of see it being back to, to Wimbledon white, you know, like the way it was. Uh, my original vision for the car was like if if a super rich asshole kid back in the 60s dad bought it for him like build it like that like what that kid might have done and so some of the parts i collected for it i have one of the original um you know from that era edelbrock six stromberg intake manifolds for the fe motor and i had started collecting parts to build an fe motor and you know shit snowballs and i by the time i basically built out the price list you know it was looking at probably 30 45 grand in just parts i wanted uh to go with a shelby or a bear you know fe block i wanted to um you know go as big as i could uh with a stroker stroker crank in it um you know aluminum heads and then you know all the chrome and moon eyes valve covers and then i don't want to mess with six strombergs but there's a couple companies out now that make a throttle body that looks dead nuts like a stromberg and i thought you know converting it over to fuel injection with the six stromberg looking you know injectors on it would keep that like 60s vibe uh, and still you know be drivable and reliable um but yeah, it was so just so expensive to build an FE, especially to that level. 
Uh, and then Ford has come out with that 7.3 Godzilla motor. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Um, I've been kind of putting feelers out there, looking for somebody that's got a wrecked Super Duty with a 7.3 in it, hoping to score everything. Um, and so far, the only ones that have come up have been four-wheel drive, which, you know, of course, I, I don't want to use. I don't even know if I want to use that 10-speed transmission or if it'll fit, but that's kind of been the idea. Um, still collecting parts for it and not sure, you know, which direction I'll end up ultimately going. But, yeah, that's the convertible. So hopefully I will, you know, get back on that one soon, although I... I have a feel. I really want to. I'm so close to finishing the green hardtop. I think that's where I want to put all of my effort and just get that one over the finish line. And um, yeah, I'll talk about that one next. Well, I either before this one, I will have talked about it or after. I'm not sure where in the lineup it'll be. But uh, yeah, that's the convertible. That's how she sits right now. Uh, kind of a truncated history of it. Uh, but. Like I said, a couple guys have been asking me about my own personal cars and, you know, where they're at, why, you know, how, how far along I am with them. It's hard to tell sometimes in pictures. Um, I can tell you if you see her in person, she's dog shit in person, but I love her. I'll never sell her. So anyway, I uh, hope you like that, you know, quick story on the convertible. And, you know, hopefully by the time you hear this, maybe I'll collect a few more parts for it. All right, thanks guys. Okay, so the green 66 Galaxy hardtop. It's definitely the car you got. You probably know me by if you see me at a show, uh, you know, wherever I'm at. I'm, if I'm not in Truckee Verde, I'm driving the Galaxy hardtop, most likely. This car is one of those cars that Man, like anywhere you go, like any trip I take, it's always a story. Something always happens. Not like mechanical issues, just, you know, stuff. Stuff happens. And man, I just love that car. It's the last car my father and I worked on together. Uh, I, I, I'll never sell it. Um, it's just, she just means too much to me. Uh, but long, well, it's a, it's a long story and I, I'm sure I'll... You know, I'm kind of meandering, so I'll leave some stuff out. But how that car came to be mine uh, by accident, uh, believe it or not. Uh, my dad was, uh, we live in Northern California. My dad, uh, you know, the, the economy had gone to shit. Uh, my dad had got roped in uh, by his brother into doing raising these emus. Uh, my Australian guys will know what those are. For the American guys that don't know what the fucking emu is, uh, we had emus and rias, and if you've seen Jurassic Park and you think of a raptor, that's basically what an emu is or used to be. Um, think of like a smaller, meaner, shittier ostrich. But um, so they're big ass birds. I'm six foot six and fully grown, like an emu and a rhea. They come about like at the body. They come up like past my hip, uh, and you know, long ass necks with like hook beaks and, uh, their toenails are razors. They're just mean little bastards. And, um, we had them and I was, uh, you know, helping out with a co-op that was local. I ended up being a foreman for like five ranches in the area, um, moving them and like helping set them up and all that kind of bullshit. 
but the market fell out and so uh, my parents sold off the place that they had and they had to move all of the stock livestock we had up to another guy's ranch uh, i can't remember if it was in oregon or washington i think it was in oregon yeah it was in oregon and um he was nice enough to you know my dad in exchange for my dad helping him with his animals uh let us keep all of our animals on his property until we could sell them uh, so i went up there to help uh you know move for some ranches that were up in oregon help move their livestock around and i think they were it doesn't matter. They're being sold to some guy in Texas. So that's a whole nother story. But uh, we go up to Roseburg, Oregon. And if you have been to Roseburg, Oregon, it's not its not that much of a town. Uh, you get off the freeway. There's this tiny little weird strip mall. And right behind that, it's kind of like cut into this tight little valley. And there's pretty good size, you know, hills or mountains on, on either side. But right behind this little shitty strip mall is this road that they cut straight up the face of the mountain. Like there's no like going left and going right to make it more gradual. Like the guy just pointed his bulldozer at the mountain and let her rip and went straight up. So the the road up behind the strip mall is like the entrance to a roller coaster. You just go straight up and up and up and up and it's so steep that if you're stand the the houses that are on either side of this road are like cut into the mountain. So if you're standing in the front yard of one of these houses, if you want to look at your neighbor to the left of you, you have to look like up in the air, like you're looking for an airplane. And if you want to look at your neighbor to the other side, you got to look down like you're looking at your feet. I mean, that's the, the elevation. So it's, it's just weird. Um, we got there super late at night and the guy that was across the street, from uh, my uncle's place that we were staying in, there was an Edsel in his front yard. But because it was so steep, I didn't even see anything that was above that. I was I was out of my mind tired. So the next morning, my dad wakes me up and he's like, hey, did you see that 66 Galaxy across the street? And, you know, I had my convertible. At the time, I also had a wagon and a hardtop, all 66 Galaxies. Um, I had scored the, the other, the wagon and the hardtop from a local chicken farm. Um... Uh, but that's, that's another story. I didn't end up keeping those. I never drove them. I just, you know, stripped parts off of them to do other shit. But anyway, he was on me like white on rice trying to get me to get rid of these this other hardtop and, and this wagon. And so he starts talking about this fourth 66 Galaxy. And I, I just was waiting for that other shoe to drop, you know, to, to catch shit about getting rid of the other two. So I just wasn't interested. But he kept hounding me, so I got cleaned up and I went outside and sure as shit, you know, if you crane your neck up looking like you want to try to find an airplane at the house diagonally across up was this 66 Galaxy 500 uh, two-door hardtop. So I walk up there and I walked around it and it's the most plain Jane nothing 66 Galaxy I've ever seen. It literally it, it, as far as i could tell only had like two options on it one being that it was a galaxy and not a custom so it's got the fastback style roof line instead of the more you know business like you know kind of i guess thunderbird like flat back roof line and glass and instead of having the 300 inline straight six it had a 289 with an automatic but it's a radio delete car no power anything, no tilt anything, no nothing. 
no AC, just, you know, the, the good body style, the smallest V8 you could get, and that's it. Um, but it was clean, you know, like it had moss and shit growing in the, the stock paint. The car had never been hit. It was, you know, super, super clean body, but it had been, it obviously, it obviously had been sitting forever and ever like, you know, four flat tires, the whole bit. And, uh, the guy that was next door with the Edsel saw me looking at the, the galaxy and tried to run me off. He starts yelling at me. He starts cursing at me. Like, you know. I don't know why he's just just a real asshole but the whole time this neighbor with the Edsel is yelling at me and then you know my dad heard the commotion so he walks up there over and you know we're trying to figure out what this guy's problem is because it's not his car um I noticed that the neighbor across the street from where the galaxy was parked uh was watching the whole interaction like through the blinds like some like super creeper dude and so that was weird. And then finally I'd had enough of this neighbor and then, you know, the neighbor's like, I offered him $12,000 and he wouldn't take it. And I was like, well, you're a fucking idiot. You know, it's a plain Jane radio delete 289 car. You know, this is back in the nineties. I'm like, it's a $500, you know, thousand dollar car tops. Like you're out of your goddamn mind offering 12,000. And like, I didn't want the car anyway. You know, I had that other hard top and, you know, my convertible and I had a station wagon and my dad was on me to get rid of the hard top and the, the wagon that I had. Cause you know, they were on his property. So the last thing I wanted was another, another goddamn car to deal with. Um, you know, I just didn't have the time. So, uh, the shitty neighbor with the Edsel goes back into his house and as soon as he does the neighbor that was watching us through the blinds comes out of his house and he comes up to my dad and he's like hey I noticed you guys are looking at this galaxy do you guys want it because I know the guy that owns this house and he 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 wants to sell it but he everybody hates the guy with the Edsel so if you want the galaxy I'll call and tell him and I was like no I don't I don't want that I've got two he won't let me keep now and my dad, for some reason, he just really liked the car, I guess. He's like, oh, no, he wants it. He wants it. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, why are, you, why are you telling this guy that I want this car? And you won't let me have the two I already have. And so it was like a whole thing. And uh, eventually, uh, the guy that owns the property where the Galaxy is shows up at my uncle's place. And so we all go over and he opens up the car and, you know, kind of gives me the tour and my dad, he's got a hard on for this car. Like for some reason he thinks I need it. And so I'm like, okay, I guess I'm buying this car. And it turned out like he pulls out this old Kelly blue book and he's like showing me the value of like what a 428, you know, lightweight galaxy 500 XL, you know, all the, the higher end shit. He's like, yeah, this is what it's worth. And I'm like, yeah, it would be if it was that, but it's not, it's this, you know? And I, show him way further down the scale, plain Jane 289, you know, radio delete nothing car. And uh, I think he was probably a little offended, um, but then it turned out that he was retired Navy and my dad was retired Navy. And it turned out that they had been stationed at some of the same places at the same time. And, you know, two ships passing in the night kind of thing. Like they never met each other, but they had a lot of shared experiences and so they're swapping navy stories and shit and i'm looking at this car i don't even fucking want and my dad's you know getting me to spend money that i had been saving to to do more work on the convertible and uh, 
we struck a deal. Um, so uh, he he's like, well, you know, I give I gave him a couple hundred bucks I had on me to hold the car, and um, I had to war I had, I didn't have enough to to make the amount, and I didn't want to borrow the money from my dad. Um, so I worked a shit ton of overtime and I sold a few things and I got the rest of the money. We drove all the way back, um, from California to Roseburg, Oregon again. And I go to pay this guy off and he's got this big smile on his face and like him and my dad are swapping Navy stories again. And then he gets this weird look on his face and he goes, every car has a story and this is this car's story. And I was like, Oh shit, you know, good opening. So he goes, uh, his dad wasn't a good looking dude and his mom was a rocket. So to get his mom to marry his dad, his dad, you know, busted his ass and saved up a bunch of money and he bought that galaxy. He bought a mink stole and he bought a diamond ring and she married him. But every time they'd get in an argument and his mom, I guess, would realize how much hotter she was you know, out of this dude's league, I guess she'd jump in that galaxy, wrap herself in that mink stole and take her and that diamond ring down to Mexico where apparently she had a Sancho and, uh, turned out like on the car, um, on the windshield, there were these, um, La Turista stickers on it, which is like a Mexican insurance company, I guess. And so every time she would like every, uh, every year for a while and then every other year there was like five or six stickers so it was like 67 68 69 72 73 um, you know La Turista stickers on the windshield uh, for when she'd get in an argument with the guy's dad and she'd split down to Mexico uh, she'd run out of cash and he'd wire her the cash and she'd come back so really weird for a guy to tell you how his mom is out you know getting getting hooks up hooking up with dudes down in mexico to get back at her dad for whatever his dad for whatever his dad was doing weird ass story um but while he's telling me the story it got even fucking weirder because he goes into um we go to the house that it's parked in front of which you know he didn't live there uh and in fact the galaxy had been in the garage until the weekend before i showed up the first time so for some reason um, he had pushed the galaxy out the weekend before we drove up there, or I would have never even known it was there. But what had happened was his mom had died. His dad had died uh, first and then his mom died. And when his mom died, like he didn't have, he didn't have the, the heart to do anything at all. He was just heartbroken. He couldn't, couldn't get himself to, to do anything. And I guess the house was paid off. And so he literally just like closed the door on the house and that's how it sat for, I think, 15 or 15 or 17 years until literally the weekend before when he'd showed up and pushed the car out of the garage for whatever reason, like uh, her lunch was still on the table. Like there was a petrified sandwich and some potato chips all covered in dust and they'd gone hard and. Um, her, um, her laundry was still in the plastic bags, like from the dry cleaner and she just thrown it over one of the like recliners and, um, the plastic had deteriorated and kind of started falling down in like 
patches on the floor and dishes were still in the sink and you know her coats were still hung up on the i mean literally she died they came in and got the body and you know or you know got her and she went to the hospital and died i don't think i don't know if she died in the house or not but she didn't come back and he never went back in the house he just locked the door so it was just crazy twilight zone shit and uh he gave me the keys to it, uh, gave me a spare set of keys to it, and then she was mine. So uh, California and Oregon could not be more different when it comes to DMV. Uh, he had the pink, but it had her name on it, and he just kind of signed it. And so I thought, well, this will be an adventure because uh, it hadn't been registered, you know, probably 15, 17 years that it was sitting there. So I go, uh, first thing first, I want, you know, I paid the guy his money. I took the, the pink. I go to the local DMV thinking it's going to be this big old ordeal. And it's like a Roseburg, Oregon DMV, this small nothing town. So I like walk in and it's like one lady sitting at a desk with a stack of brand new license plates behind her. And I say, you know, hey, I'm, I'm from Cali. My uncle lives across the street, saw this car. I bought it. The old man, it was his mom's. He signed it. You know, what do I got to do to to get this in my name? You know, get it registered. And she's like, oh, well, your uncle lives here in Roseburg. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, okay, write his address down. And I did. It was like 20 bucks. She hands me like fresh plates, um, switched it over to my name, you know, did all the paperwork like right there. Like no line, no nothing. Like that shit does not happen in California. Um, so I walked out of there with plates and they're registered in my name, uh, got back to the car, got in the car. I didn't even tried to start it. Um, you know, we turned it over by hand, but didn't have a battery or anything. So I didn't know what this car was going to need. Uh, put a new battery in it from my uncle and it turned over and it tried to light immediately, but the brake pedal went straight to the floor. And as I have already mentioned, it's near the top of this street um, that's like roller coaster steep. So if I had tried to move it, you know, without checking the brakes, like I probably would have broke the sound barrier twice before I got to the bottom of this goddamn hill. It's wicked steep. So, you know, I start making a list uh, of all the, you know, shit I'm going to need and uh, get the car up on stands. And the old guy, you know, he let me do some work in his his mom's old front yard he was real cool about it um so this is this is so stupid so at the end of the street um is there's a, there's the kind of strip mall is on the left if you're leaving the street and there's this o'reilly on the right so i walk all i took off the master cylinder i walk all the way down this steep ass hill to this o'reilly and I walk in and I'm like, hey, you know, I need a new master cylinder. This is what I got. It's off a of 66 Galaxy. Um, you know, do you have one in stock? What's it going to cost? That kind of bullshit. And uh, the guy is one of those dudes up. And I don't know if you've ever been to Oregon or Washington. Or maybe you're from Oregon or Washington. But if, you ever ha if you're not from there and you travel from there, the last thing you want to say is that you're from California. Because there are some folks up there that just hate Californians. And I understand you know, Californians predominantly have more money. They take that California money. They sell their California house. 
They go up to Oregon, you know, they buy shit at, you know, prices that the people that are local there just can't afford. They drive up property tax, property taxes and house costs and all that shit. So I get the animosity, but here's this guy, read me the riot act. Like I got a choice of where I'm born and I'm not trying to move up there. I just want a goddamn master cylinder. Um, but he's talking all kinds of shit to me and, uh, he gives me a master cylinder I walk all the way up this goddamn hill and I go to put it on and it's it's it, they dicked up the machining on it or something like for some reason like it was the right master cylinder but the holes that were in the body were to attach the body of the master cylinder to the firewall of the car the like one of the holes was messed up like it just wouldn't work and I didn't have a drill press or you know I guess the patience to hog it out to make it work. So I took it off and I walk all the way down the goddamn hill again. And of course that shithead is still there behind the counter. Well, when I, when I gave him the, you know, the old master cylinder and he gave me the, the first new one, he, you know, he went through the process of a core charge. Um, so he'd given me money back. Well, I come back with this other master cylinder. He's, calling me stupid Californian you know giving me all kinds of shit he goes in the back room gets another master cylinder we compare it I look at it it looks like it's cool and you know he gives me a core charge back so I walk out of there having spent I think it was like $60 for a master cylinder I walked out of there like $30 ahead for this core charge um and I was going to, I had planned on bringing it back, you know, but I was going to let him sweat. Um, so I walk all the way back up the hill, kind of laughing at how this guy's calling me stupid and he's paying me basically now to get parts. And I get this new master cylinder up there and it, it fits, it bolts on, everything's cool. I get lines up to it and I get in to start pumping it and it's shot. Like it just, there's the spring inside was bad or something, or maybe there was a hole in it. Like it just, the, it was bad. So I had to take it off. I go all the way back down the hill again. Um, I mean, I was getting a hell of a workout. I get down to the hill and shithead is still working there. And so he, you know, he takes a look at it. You know, he puts it on, he gets the thing and moves the plunger in and out. And he's like, yeah, this one's shot. Let me get you another one. He's talking all kinds of shit again. Um, you know, saying it's my, you know, my fault that the thing is garbage because I'm from California or whatever. I don't know how he's doing these mental gymnastics, but you know, talking shit about me, hands me $30 for a core charge, hands me a new master cylinder. And I walk back up the hill thinking, well, I'm, I'm 60 bucks. I'm, I broke even now. Long story short, that master cylinder was bad too. Um, so I took it back, got another core charge and another shit talking. And so I ended up, I think I ended up after all the different ones, I finally got a good one and I had bought some other things, you know, to do other shit to the car. Um, I ended up being like almost a hundred bucks ahead, like core charge wise. And like, I didn't say anything to my dad, you know, I'm out working on this car, like trying to get it right. And he kept coming over and checking on me and, you know, the frustration of getting it the job done kind of overruled me telling him what had been going on at the O'Reilly's. So I'm about to go down the hill again, uh, the for the last time. And my dad's like, Oh, I'll give you a ride. And I was like, okay, cool. 
So he rides with me down there and um, he goes in, but like I go in first and, you know, shithead is there still and he's yelling at me and talking all kinds of shit. And on the way down there, I had told my dad, you know, that every time I'd gone in there, the guy had paid me a core charge. And now I was like, you know, I don't even remember. I was like, like a hundred bucks or 120 bucks ahead, you know, even with the cost of the original master cylinder, um, the guy just kept giving me money. It was calling me an idiot and giving me money. Um, but I knew, you know, it's getting towards the end of the night. He's going to have to count out his drawer. He was going to come up short, you know, and even though he'd been an asshole to me all day, like I didn't, I didn't want that. So I told my dad about it. My dad's laughing and he's like, Oh, you're just making him sweat. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, okay, cool. You know, not cool that you took the money, but I get it. You know, funny. Okay. Ha ha. Give the money back, which I had intended to do. Um, so I go in there and you know, the guy starts yelling at me as soon as I walk in the door and like, I had to pick up a few cleaning things. I mean, you know how it is. If you pick up a car that's been sitting for a million years, like just odds and ends, like shit you need just to, to put the thing, you know, get it up and running and master cylinders and, you know, like brake cylinders and like rebuild kits for the drum brakes all the way around new shoes for the brakes, getting the drums turned, all that shit. Um, and yeah, I think, I think he'd given me core charges for the brakes too. Uh, although I only had to do those the one time. And so I think that's how I ended up so far ahead. But anyway, um, my dad is in there this, this last time and he's hearing this guy talk all this shit to me and I'm just, you know, chill, whatever. Like this is the only part store, like in walking distance, I can't afford for him to not serve me. So I'm just eating shit, you know, from this guy trying to get the parts I need to get this goddamn car running that I didn't even want. And uh, my dad walks up behind me and I'm, I'm reaching in my pocket to pull this like wad of cash out and give it back to him and be like, now nah, who's the fucking idiot? You've been paying me all day, you dumbass. Like, you know, I'm gonna give it back and finally get my comeuppance. And my dad puts his hand on, on my hand and uh, he goes, you earned that, that's yours. And I kind of look at him because that's that wasn't my dad's way. Like he was, he was, you know, he definitely wasn't a square. But you know, what was right is what was right. And uh, so it was really out of character. But he's like, "No, you earned that." He's been like this every time. And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "You earned it. You keep it." Uh, he paid for the last bit of what I needed. Um, you know, I still came out ahead. You know, I think like 120 bucks. Like I said. And we left and my dad's like, he was like that to you every time. Like, and you didn't come back at him. And I was like, nah, dad, like, you know, you were gone and I had to walk. And this is the only auto parts store I know of in this town. Like, you know, I just want to get the shit done. You know, sometimes you got to eat shit to get shit done. And so I don't know, I guess he was proud of me for making the, the, you know, not the comfortable decision, but the, the decision that, that got the job done. So he let me keep that cash, screwed the guy over at the O'Reilly's. If the guy at the O'Reilly's hearing this, uh, I don't feel bad. I, I hope you lost your job. You were an asshole all day long. And uh, we ended up, you know, getting the car running, getting the brakes, got it down to my, my uncle's place. Um, you know, it was covered in like moss and mold and shit and, you know, scrubbing it with bleach and simple green and everything to get in the, the, it was so clean and so straight. I could not believe 
how nice this car the more i cleaned it the more i was like holy shit this thing is good um got it scrubbed within an inch of its life um the paint you know from when moss grows on paint it grows in the paint so when i scrubbed that off it wherever the moss was it took a little bit of the paint with it so there was just no no way around it so that sucked um but damn she was so clean and um you know the tires on it you know were were old you know nylon you know bias plies and so i was going to drive it from from roseburg oregon back to sacramento and uh, i thought i was going to have to leave it there at my uncle's but which i did not want to do um but my dad was like you know you've been really busting ass you know i'm going to help you out and so and this is what I mean. Like everything with this car is a goddamn story. Um, so we take it to a local Les Schwab. Like I idled it to this Les Schwab. You know, I'd already been to the DMV. I had plates on it. It was all good. But I'm going to make this trip all the way down to Cali. So I need good tires. And dad offers to hook me up. And, you know, I got to pay him back. But he's helping me out. So we go into this Les Schwab. And it's the only time I've ever been in a Les Schwab that like did not look like a Les Schwab looks like it was in the middle of the valley like this I don't I don't remember if it was in Roseburg or not but it was in this like part of the valley all by itself it was this old corrugated steel shitty building and um you know it looked like some guy's old barn not like what you would expect a Les Schwab to look like um if you're listening to this and you're like overseas if you do a search for Les Schwab it's like a McDonald's or a Taco Bell like it's a you know it's a franchise and like they're they're not a small franchise so their buildings are always like they look a certain way they're you know they pride themselves on their service and cleanliness and that you know their service centers are all you know legit and so it was really weird to see this one that was all all gross and old and you know not what i expected so but super nice guys and um so i want we get the car in there and um i'm like you know, hey, just give me the four cheapest, black, you know, black and round. And my dad's like, no, you got to have a spare. I'm like, okay, give me the five cheapest black and round. I don't care who makes them. You know, that's what I want. Uh, they only had three sets. Uh, the cheapest set he had was snow tires. And so they had studs in them. And I can't, I'm driving to Cali, so I can't have that. You know, it's not, not legal in California to have studded tires. So that, those ones were out. So He's like, well, I already sold the, I didn't, we didn't know when I, I paid for them and then I saw them. And so he's like, well, you already paid for them and I should have mentioned that they were studded. So I'm going to give you these tires. They were like the next step up in price for the price of the snow tires. And I was like, damn, that's super cool. Like it's not, you know, that wasn't that big of a, a deal and I wasn't upset about it, you know, so here I am looking out again. So, um, they, they take off the rims off the galaxy. They pry the old tires off. They go to put these new tires on, which are like the next step up, you know, price wise from these snow tires. And I don't know how, but the guy cut the sidewall of one of the new tires as he was putting it on, just like, like sliced right through it. So the manager comes out and he's like, oh man, I'm so sorry. You know, we're putting these tires on and like my guy cut them. And so we can't, like, I can't give you a complete set. Like I don't have another tire and, you know, to get another one of these tires, it's going to have to come from another store. It's just like a big ordeal. It would have taken a lot of time. And like, I had to be in and out that day. 
So he's like, okay, for the cost of the original snow tires, the cheapest ones, I'm going to give you the next step above, you know, the ones that they had put, tried to put on and cut. So I'm getting hooked up again. You know, it's ridiculous with this car. Um, so they put on this other set. Um, the guys were super cool. Uh, couldn't have been nicer. They, um, you know, being like kind of a rural kind of, I guess they service mostly like tractors and heavy machinery and um, in this part of the valley. So they had all kinds of, you know, tools on hand. And so the guy um, didn't charge me any extra. The rims were kind of rusty. Um, they put them in, you know, a, like a blasting cabinet and blasted all the rust off of them and cleaned them up real nice. And, you know, cause we had been talking about the car and the story, you know, so far. So they were super cool. Got the rims looking super nice. Got these, you know, tires that ended up being like, you know, three levels above what I paid for, for the same price. Um, and, you know, went back to my uncle's place, packed up, tanked up and we're going to head home. Like, so we're driving home from Oregon to California and my dad's following me in his truck. And I, this car, if you, if you go back and look at the ads for the 66 galaxies, I don't know why, but Ford had it in their head that the galaxy was going to be like build quality equivalent to like Rolls Royce or something. And so that was like one of the quietest cars that they had ever built. And this car was in near like mint original shape. Like it had never been hit, never been apart. So it was, it was tight as a drum and it was so quiet. I just, in no radio, I, I, you know, pre cell phone days, you know, so I didn't have that. I was like trying to whistle and hum to myself to stay awake and I just couldn't. And so I, I would swerve a little bit, you know, and then like wake myself up and be cool. And then, you know, go a couple miles and swerve a little bit. My dad, I don't know. He just got tired of watching me be a shithead on the road. And so he high beams me and I pull over and he's like, what the hell's going on with you? Why are you driving like that? And I said, dad, you know, this thing is quieter than you know, my mom had an LS 400 Lexus at the time, like the, when they first came out. Uh, so I was like, dad, this thing is quieter than mom's Lexus. Like I cannot stay awake. This thing is, I've never been in a car other than mom's Lexus. That's as anywhere near as quiet as this thing. I said it, you couldn't be quieter than like if you were in a coffin six feet under, like this thing is legit. I, I just can't stay awake. And he's like, bullshit. And I was like, Hey, swap. So, you know, I take the truck and he takes the galaxy and we get like, I don't think we got five miles down the road and he starts swerving. And so he pulls over immediately and I pull up next to him and he's like, Holy shit. He's like, this is not going to work. Like you're, you'll never make it to California. Like we got to get you a radio. So we pull into, um, we're still in Oregon. So we pulled into like the next exit, hit a Fred Meyer and like got like a little shitty radio for me to listen to all the way back. But, Made it back to California just fine. Um, I had intended the entire time to cut that car apart to fix my convertible, but I mean, it was so good. I just couldn't bear to to you know to do that. And so ultimately, I ended up. Um, my parents had this little side garage that you know on the side of their house that they never went in, so they let me put the convertible there. 
and that's where it ended up sitting for probably 20 something years um, until I met Derek with AccuAir and uh, he kind enough to kick me in the ass and get it running again and took the convertible down to him to to fix which I'll I'll talk about if you haven't heard that story already you'll probably be hearing it next but um yeah so I ended up keeping the galaxy and I kind of made a list of all the shit that I had intended to do the convertible and I thought you know there's all this other shit that I kind of want to try why don't I just try it on this car first um and I am not a millionaire so it took me it's taken me you know all these years to get this far but you know, did all the body work on it, took it down to bare metal, found a body shop that would let me come in and work on it on my own and, you know, with their supervision. So it didn't, you know, took me longer, but cost me a lot less. And a little local family body shop in uh, in this little town called Elk Grove that I grew up in. And uh, the guys were super cool and real nice. And it took a long time, but I got the body dialed in and, you know, Took it down to bare metal and then brought it back. Um, hardly any filler in it anywhere. Um, we shaved the Ford emblem um, for well, it's block letters, but across the across the top of the hood uh, on the the face of the hood, we shaved that off and uh, shaved the door a lot. Mo- nobody ever notices that. Everybody like it's exactly in alignment with my philosophy, like on customizing cars, like. Guys that know 66s and have them, they'll look at my car and they're like, something's not right. Like, your car looks extra good and I don't know why. Um, And I just went through it, you know, and I filled all the seams. You know, we welded them in and I just, we body worked the shit out of them until it was as, you know, perfect as I could get it. And then the guys would jump in and they would, you know, take it the rest of the way if I didn't get it right. Um, And I didn't know uh, for a long time, but like when they were between jobs, they were kind of sneaking over to my car and like helping move me along. Um, so that was real cool. And, uh, shave the door lock, shave the trunk lock, um, like filled in a few things and smoothed some things out. Um, and then at the time I was building that car at the body shop, uh, there was this highway patrolman that would come in and there was a, a law. It wasn't a law yet, but it was a proposal they were going to make it a requirement that because all the the new cars were getting these third brake lights and for some reason California thought that that made everybody safer um, they were going to force people to retroactively put this these third brake lights in their cars and this highway patrolman was in there all the time giving me shit about how he was going to pull me over every time he saw me if I didn't put that stupid snorkel looking third brake light in the back window and um if you look at magazines around the time like in the ads you'll even see like ads for really ugly shitty like billet you know third brake lights um because this that's how serious california was about this possibly being a law for some reason it didn't end up going through but before you know it had failed and because this cop was on us um i had happened to be at a mini truck show and this guy had no taillights on the bed of the truck, you know, and it was full paint, full, you know, custom, beautiful, amazing, you know, mini local mini truck. And as he went by me, he hit the brakes and behind the paint were his taillights. Um, 
So I got the information, you know, for the kit from him, <coughs> which is also kind of a, it was one of those lessons that, you know, kind of ends up, you know, changing the way that you, I thought about things in that, you know, if I had not been open to going to a mini truck show, I would have never seen this modification. And, you know, if I'd have just been a classic car guy, if I'd have just been a Ford guy, I never would have seen this, you know, it never would have been on my radar. Um, but because I was, you know, into cars in general and open to, you know, if there's a show, I want to go, you know, if some guy puts his blood and sweat and tears into something, I'm down to check it out. Even if I don't like it, you know, even if it's not to my taste or if there's a mod I don't like, I really push myself to find something that I do, you know, to, to look for some kind of inspiration that might help me figure out how to fix something on one of my own projects. And, and that's what happened here. You know, I saw this, the taillight behind the paint and I thought, bam, that's, that's what I need. So I reached out to this company um, and it was like a little bucket with a dual row LED light in it. And it, uh, we cut a, a hole using their template between the bottom of the uh, bottom of the rear window and the lip of the where the trunk meets that little piece of metal between the window and itself. So in that little space, uh, we cut a hole and then uh, one of the guys, the son of the owner of the body shop, he climbed up in the trunk and welded in metal plates to, to give it a bunch of extra strength. And then um, this kit mounted the bucket from the backside and then it pushed a metal, um, a really heavy piece of plastic, um, you know, in the shape through the hole that the template had given us to cut. And it stuck out like really far, like almost an inch out. And then we used grinders to grind it. So it was like, you know, perfectly smooth and flowing with the, with that panel. And then, um, you know, did the bot the card pretty much was almost done body work wise, but we rebody worked that part, um, you know, of the that because it got some heat from tacking in the extra supports and shit. We redid the body work there, and then uh, just poured resin around it um, until and shaved it, and so it was all sealed up and like perfect and smooth. And then uh, did a super light fog of the body paint over that you know, lens in the car and then taped it off and then shot the rest of the car. So it, it's ready to be redone. Like the, the resin is starting to crack. It's, you know, the cars, it's a little, getting a little long in the tooth. It's ready. It's ready for another respray, but it's held up. Like even today, like if most, almost nobody, unless I hit the brakes, you know, or you know, to look for it, you won't see it. Um, so it's probably my favorite mod on that car. Um, other than the air suspension, um, I ended up blowing the 289 out of it, uh, on a, you know, goofing around, uh, racing down the freeway. Not that it was fast, but you know, dicking around, um, the throttle return spring broke as I was coming up on traffic and I had my girl sitting next to me and she had a ponytail. And by the time I got my left hand through the steering wheel to the gear selector and 
got my other hand up over her head and ponytail to get to the ignition so we didn't hit traffic that was coming up my left hand had put it into neutral before my right hand could get to the key and it grenaded the motor um so my dad and i uh went to another wrecking yard and uh, i found a sick 428 uh dual carb motor it was a cobra jet motor out of a speedboat and that's what i wanted uh, but dad talked me out of it um probably best i'd probably be dead if i'd got it it was a beast um, we went to a junkyard and pulled a three, uh, 351 Windsor out of a 69 Country Squire. And I had some money set aside and did the Edelbrock RPM kit for it, um, minus the heads. Um, I did it, you know, found a local engine builder, uh, worked with him, put it together, um, ordered all the chrome from Moon Eyes and, well, aluminum, but I took it to Sherm's and had it chromed. Um, we really ended up being a really pretty motor, not super hot, but you know, not bad. And she was, uh, man, it was a, it was a good running car. St still st the same transmission in it, which I've rebuilt like three times. Um, then that motor started, uh, messing up and I had built a relationship with this guy, Tom at FE specialties. He did you know, tons of like maintenance work with me. And especially when my dad passed, you know, I, I just didn't feel comfortable deep diving into like heavy mechanic work without my dad there. It just wasn't the same. So Tom was really cool. He kind of, you know, took me under his wing a little bit and like did basically handled all the maintenance. I didn't feel comfortable with anymore. And, uh, he ended up building, pulling that 351 Windsor out and uh, put a 408 stroker kit in it. And so that's the motor that's in it now. It's that same Windsor block, but 408 stroker now, uh, you know, painted and striped and all dialed in. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's, you know, pretty much the green car as it sits. Um, Rick at Ultra Truck Works, who just recently passed, um, super great guy he you know uh they put all new exhaust under it for me after the new motor and uh eventually they put air suspension on it i was i think it was one of the first cars that they bagged at that location um and you know rick and mike you know really took time and got that thing dialed in because i drive my shit and i drive it hard um i did a hell of a job on it and so uh and I got one of the early Dakota digital ride height control systems that's still in it. Um, we, I ended up making a gauge pod out of, um, I don't, I don't even know what it's called, but it's that green squishy stuff. If you buy flowers for your mom or for your girlfriend and they, you know, give it to you in a vase and there's that green squishy stuff they put in to, to hold the flower arrangement. I got it in my head. Uh, that I would use that shit and I bought a box of it and I used a heavy nail or steel files and I shaped it the way I wanted it and so I made a pod that went under my dash and then I fiberglassed over that shit and the cool thing about doing it that way is when you scrape it all out it leaves a coating of that kind of kind of a almost like a velvety feel to it where the fiberglass soaks into that green stuff 
Um, so it gives the inside of the fiberglass kind of a, a soft green feel, which is kind of cool. Um, scoop that all out, um, you know, use Dremels to, to make the holes and stuff and uh, made a gauge pod for it, shot the whole thing. And uh, that was my first published article for Rod and Custom. Uh, Jim Rizzo was the editor of that uh, at the time. Super nice guy. Um, I wrote the article, sent it in, and uh, Jesus, yeah, everything about this car is a fucking story. Um, sent the article in. They published it. Uh, I get this check in the mail, uh, you know, from from Rod and Custom. Like I was blown away. Like I couldn't couldn't believe I was getting paid to write an article that was going to be in, you know, my favorite car magazine ever. And, um, so Jim, super nice guy calls me up and I'm like, Oh man, thank you so much. And I can't believe you guys published it. And you know, all that kind of shit. And Jim was like, you know, Hey, we really love your voice and you're, you're funny. And, uh, you know, we, we really like the article and we'd like to do a few more with you, but my editor hates your guts. She wants to kick your ass. Your, your writing's atrocious. It's, it's a little bit better now, not much better, but uh, apparently I'd given the editor some fits. And so Rizzo said, you know, you got to find a way to practice your writing. You got to find some outlet, you know, so that you can write consistently. And I was like, well, shit, how do I do that? And he goes, well, why don't you start a Facebook page? And like, I wasn't even really on Facebook. I mean, I had a fa I had, you know, the transition from MySpace to Facebook had happened and I did it too, but I wasn't really you know, a f it, smartphones were still in their infancy. Like it wasn't, it wasn't all iPhones and, you know, shit at the time. It was, I, I just, I just wasn't on there as much. And so I ended up uh, starting the lowered Facebook page. And so, yeah, because my dad saw the 66 galaxy and that I, you know, didn't want. And he talked me into and, you know, ended up being the, the last car we worked on together. And, um, you know, I've driven it all over California, Oregon, Washington to shows and, uh, you know, all the little adventures and, and shit you have with buddies on road trips. And, uh, yeah, man, every time I drive it, it's a story. And I love that car. Like I said, I'll never sell it. It's the, it's the reason that I have the lowered. It's the reason why I got published in Rod and Custom. Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's been the catalyst for a lot of different parts of my life. So um, this year, I don't know if I'll be able to, but um, I've kind of made a tentative appointment to, to take it into a couple shops uh, that I don't want to like let too much out of the bag on that, but um, hoping to get the so some like little imperfections in the body worked out. Um, hoping to get the car either spotted or completely resprayed, and uh, I've got the interior door panels dialed in. But like I need to have the seats recovered and the the package tray in the back. I want to have redone and it. Um, so yeah, it's, she's a, she's a good twenty footer, you know, as it stands right now. So. I'm hoping to take her the rest of the way um, so that I can, you know, you know, get one all the way over the finish line or at least enough over the finish line that I'm happy with it. Um, 
and then I want to either jump on the Buick and or or finally get the convertible like give her her due but time will tell um like you I mean you only have so much time and money and you got family and other responsibilities and a house and all that other bullshit gets in the way so everything takes way longer than it should and of course I've got Trucky Verde and the convertible and the Buick and so I've got competing mouths to feed so yeah fingers crossed I'll get a lot more I'll get some more done on the the hard top hopefully in the coming year but um, that's kind of a not so brief explanation of how I ended up with the hard top and you know how she kind of is where she's at now um, so many adventures in that car um, and I'm really looking forward to like what's coming so anyway hope you guys like that that's the explanation of the hard top um, I'm gonna do one of the convertible and the Buick and um, ultimately I hope to do a standalone uh, podcast on Truckee Verde because I know you guys are di dying to know what's up with the new motor and I'm dying to tell you but anyway hope you liked it and uh, yeah I guess I'll start working on the next one what to do what to do uh, well if you're anything like me you probably get caught in spirals uh, before you make a major decision, especially when it has to do with cars. And I've been spiraling over this one for a while. Uh, I've also had a lot of you guys asking me about it, so I thought I'd tell the story. Um, so I've got a 1941 Buick Super Coupe, uh, two-tone green, of course. And I picked it up, uh, believe it or not, from an eBay auction. Uh, I had gotten to a point and where I was thinking about buying another motorcycle, uh, having sold a 2000 Indian chief that I had to bolster a down payment on another house, um, that I bought. And, you know, of course, immediately regretted doing it. Like we all, every, any a motorcyclist will tell you the second they sell their bike is the like worst day of bike ownership. Um, anyway, so I sold that bike to buy the house. Um, things got stable and I was at a point where I, I thought I could buy another bike. Um, but I just had two kids and I got the old, it would be really cool if your kids got to know you before you got yourself killed in a motorcycle accident talk. So there I was with a little bit of cheddar and I got talked into buying another car instead of buying a motorcycle. Uh, fair trade, I guess. And I uh, happened to be showing my 66 Galaxy 500, uh, the green hardtop, at SAC Autorama uh, in the Suede Pavilion. And as I was moving it in, this guy pulled in in a light tan 41 Buick Super Coupe. And I absolutely fell head, head over heels in love with it. It was just, I don't know. I don't know what it is, uh, but I just couldn't. I couldn't take my eyes off it. And every time I was in that building throughout that whole show, I just kept staring at it and this little for sale sign that it had in the window. And by the time I got my balls under me and uh, my girl was like, just buy it, just buy it. Um, I, I, the show was over, you know, I'd taken the car home, all that fun stuff. And I, uh, I found the guy on the ham. Uh, if you're not familiar with the ham, 
it's I don't know if it's as prolific as it once was, but I I still hang out there uh, every once in a while. It's it's always you know a good time suck if you're looking for one and you're into traditional rods and customs. Uh, just search the ham H A M B or the Jalopy Journal and you'll find it. Uh, it's a it's a really cool forum. Anyway, I found the the owner of the Tan Buick on the forum and he'd already shipped it to to England. It'd already been sold. So I missed out on that one. Uh, and I got, you know, the, I got the go ahead to, to buy one. So I started looking and every single one I found had already had a, a V8 or, you know, a Camaro subframe or, you know, some change that, uh, from stock that I just wasn't cool with. They, they're pretty hacked up and almost everyone I looked at was black. And if you followed me for any time at all, you know, that pretty much all my cars are green. Um, so I was on eBay one day and I came across this ad, uh, was not listed correctly the first time. I don't remember how I found it or what I was looking for when I came across it, but there she was a two tone green 1941 Buick super coupe. The pictures were terrible. Uh, but the, I don't know, I just took a chance and I bid on it and I won. Well, the guy that was selling it hadn't set he hadn't listed it correctly, but he also hadn't set like a minimum bid uh, or a reserve. So I got it for crazy cheap. And he, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, let's let's lock this up. You know, and he, he was like, no way. I didn't put a reserve. I didn't list it right. I'm going to go ahead and, and relist it. And I was like, well, I won the first bid. Like, let's let's talk, man. Like, I'm, I'm ready. I'm cash money. Let's make it happen. And he goes, no, no, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to list it again. So he listed a second time on eBay. He still didn't list it right, and he still didn't figure out the reserve somehow, but I won the bid anyway. Uh, so I reached out to him again, and I was like, hey, man, same guy. I won the bid last time. I won it again this time. And uh, I can't remember if we did that dance a third time or not uh, several years ago, but he eventually capitulated. Uh, we talked on the phone, and I ended up buying it. Um, car was in Georgia. I didn't get to see it in person. Uh, he did send me some extra pics and I sent him a cashier's check and he facilitated getting it loaded on a covered carrier. And within a couple days she was sitting in my front yard and I got crazy lucky. I don't know if they added any dents or dings to it when they shipped it. Cause like I said, I didn't see it, you know, in person before, uh, I purchased it, but Man, what a fantastic looking car. Uh, minor little things on it. Um, at one time, the front fender and the passenger side of the roof looks to have been repainted. But, you know, I had it checked out uh, by a couple body shops. There's, there's no frame or suspension or any, you know, noticeable damage that they could find. Um, so we don't know if they just decided to repaint it or touch it up. But anyway, you know, it's, it's an imperfection. So I mention it. Uh, immediately wanted to take it for a drive and because I am a six foot six, you know, several hundred pound knuckle dragon cord fed white boy, I just did, I couldn't get in it. Um, uh, but luckily the floor pan on those Buicks from the firewall back to just in front of the, the rear seat is, it's literally just like a one flat piece of metal. So, uh, I called up R Scott over at, um, over at Blue Collar Customs, and I was like, hey man, I got a new car. 
I can't get in it. Can I ship it over to you? Uh, do you have time to, to move the seat back for me? And thankful he did. And so I had it shipped to him. Uh, so it cut off a, a covered car hauler and went on the back of a AAA <laughs> tow truck and shipped it over to Scott. And uh, Scott, it was really cool. His mind was blown. Uh, I didn't tell him that I'd bought it. Uh, I don't know what car he was expecting to show up, but it certainly wasn't that 41 Buick. And I, if I was worried about my choice to buy it sight unseen, uh, watching Scott's guys climb all over it and hearing them just moon over how it, you know, clean it was and there was no rust in it, um, you know, the frame or body, like how solid it was, you know. Uh, how they hadn't seen one with all the Bakelite plastics in it, almost perfect. So, I mean, it was it was a really good experience. I got crazy lucky. And it wasn't until I got... Uh, Scott moved the seat back from me. It was the first time I'd ever driven a three on the tree. Uh, and I, um, if you've ever been to Blue Collar Customs, there he's got cars parked you know, in front of his shop. And then there's a shop and there's like narrow, like kind of space that you can drive from the street to the front of a shop and they had dropped the car off kind of in in front and then we'd push the car into the in front of the shop area and scott had a bunch of shit going on at the time so there was even less room than there would normally be it's a really busy shop they do amazing work so i mean they're they're popular for a reason but it was my first time driving it and I had to, you know, reverse it with his tiny ass mirrors down through all his, you know, all his cars and stuff to get it out. Man, I was, I was terrified, but I got it first shot. Uh, so that was cool. Um, anyway, so I get the, get the car home and I call the guy that I bought it from and I say, you know, hey, I got the car. Everything's cool. I really appreciate it. He sent me a really nice package with all the materials he had. And that's when he told me the story of how he got it, um, which I don't know why he didn't tell me up front. But it turns out the car uh, came from Georgia. Like I said, it was a private collection. And the guy said it had a couple hundred. The guy had a couple hundred cars in his collection. And then he got some kind of uh, some kind of respiratory disease that was making his lungs turn hard. And I guess there was a pill that you could take that would make your lungs squishy again and therefore allow you to breathe and live. But it was like $20,000 a month or something to get the pill. And so this guy was basically doing the math, you know, looking at his car collection and his funds and trying to decide, you know, at what point does he stop, you know, scuttling what he's going to be leaving to his family to keep them going after he dies and how much longer did he want to die so uh the guy i bought the car from said that his father-in-law was buddies with this old guy and they bought like 30 cars out of the guy's collection and uh they were he he had been ferrying cars as you know part of this transaction and when he drove the buick he said it was so much nicer than anything else he'd driven that day he just he fell in love with it and wanted to keep it and then he was at another show saw a cadillac he wanted to have and his wife basically said you can have the buick or you can have the cadillac you can't have both so that's when he listed it on ebay and that's when i picked it up uh so i had the buick i've had it for a couple years i did have done some things to it I did have a, 
a pretty good leak in it and there were some issues with the accessories they were all appeared to be the original ones you know it didn't look like anything had ever been replaced on it uh so i took i got lucky again being close to the guys at blue collar and so i had it i took it out back over there and they didn't pull the motor out of the car but basically replaced every accessory every fitting every everything that could take could be taken off the motor the alt that well generator the water pump all the fittings and weirdness that is involved with the, the water pump and the thermostat housing on that straight eight uh, and it's a dual carb motor uh, so the the headers and the intake manifold are they're not one piece but it almost looks like it because they're they're so tight together and they're both on the same side of the motor those were taken off, resurfaced, reseal the new seals put it, gaskets put in, um, all the tins on the motor, the inspection tin, the valve cover, and the oil uh, cover, and a bunch of other little shit. Uh, while it was off, I had Scott give it to me in a box. I took it all to Sherm's, had all that shit chromed, and uh, put it all together. New timing chain, uh, new clutch. Uh, what else? Oh, a bunch of shit. It certainly wasn't cheap, uh, but in that process, they figured out that the there was two places of rust on the car, and they were at the front part of the rear fenders. Uh, Buick has a well, a lot of a lot of companies did it, but on the forty-one Buick, there's a little rubber kind of um, it's a piece of metal that's been rubberized, and then they put that on the front of the rear fender to protect it from rock chips. And of course that traps water between it and the fender and that's that's the only place there was rust on the whole car. And those fenders just unbolt. So super easy. The guys at Blue Collar uh, you know, didn't bother trying to find you know, 41 Buick fenders. They just took a flat piece of steel and shaped it so it was like a perfect match. Uh, cut out the rusty part, put that new metal in there and because my intention for the car had always been to build it as a traditional custom, I didn't, uh, you know, I, did, I didn't want to waste the opportunity. So I, I had been doing research since seeing that initial tan Buick as to like, if I built one, what would I do? Uh, I've done a million drawings, uh, you know, looked at every custom Buick I could find past, present, and, you know, stuff that's being built uh, was being built at the time and I couldn't find anybody that ever put scoops in those rear fenders and I always kind of thought that was a cool look uh, so we you know I drew it out took it to Scott we did cardboard you know cutouts to you know simulate what the scoop would look like in the fender and then I found a guy that sold brass ingots and uh, Scott you know he he did uh, test teeth in out of plywood and then translated the shapes in plywood to the brass and so what we what I came what I came up with was that I wanted the I wanted three teeth in each scoop but I wanted the teeth to match the shape and look of the the bars in the grill because I want it to I want people to look at it and wonder if it's stock you know I kind of like that whole vibe where you're looking at something and it looks better than it's supposed to look and you're not sure why, you know, if you're not super familiar with a car. 
And so that's what we did. And I was a real picky kind of shithead about it. And Scott was great. And, you know, his guys executed it. Turned out amazing. Um, then we sent those teeth over to Sherms and had them chrome. So I've got the, the three teeth in each scoop on their two rear fenders. That's my first, you know, custom step towards a custom mod. Uh, during that time, uh, the springs and the suspension were just shot. I mean, 1941, so... It's amazing they lasted as long as they did. And I happened to come across Jamco, and I talked to the guys at Jamco, and they wanted to sponsor me. Uh, they liked the the lowered Facebook page I was doing, or am doing. And so they sent me custom springs, um, all brand new, and I had them, uh, you know, smaller springs in the back. We went down by, I think, two and a half inches in the back, I'd have to look it up, but it was like two and a half inches in the back and only one inch in front because I wanted that kind of tail dragger look. And if you look at any of the pictures, the you know historic stuff that was shot by Barris for Peterson Publishing, like the customs that were being built, the early you know early customs, like in the late uh, late forties, early fifties. The roads were, were not that great back then, and hydraulics weren't really a thing. So if your car was low, it's because you cut the coils, and you know you can't just lift it back up on a whim. So guys would kind of put stuff in the trunk, like cement bags or sand or whatever, just to get that back down a little bit to change the stance. And that's kind of the look I was going for. So Jamco is super cool. They sent out those springs. Uh, my guys over at Ultra Truck Works put them in for me. Uh, car was looking right. I reached out to Coker. I got five new bias ply, um, the Firestones with the pie crust on the edges. Uh, you know, because the tires were shot. They'd been the car. You know, car been sitting forever in this guy's collection, so they weren't safe anymore. So. Put five new tires on it, the new suspension underneath it, um, had the brakes and everything, uh, you know, checked and the bearings repacked. And then, uh, you know, Scott did his thing with it. And in the meantime, uh, we decided to get the license plate off the trunk lid. And because the front bumper on a 41 Buick has an overrider factory, which doesn't make sense to me that there's one in front for the for the license plate and not one in back. I just took the one off the front and moved it to the back bumper and then took the license plate off the trunk lid and moved it down to the bumper. So, and while I was doing that, I was looking for a stock set of 41 Buick skirts, but they're just harder and shit to find. I mean, you do come across them, but they're generally like $1,200, $1,400, and they're rough. It's super rare to come across a set that aren't pretty dicked up. And if you do, they're they're even more expensive. And I just could not put hands on one, a set that I was happy with. And what made the that little thing worse was that I really didn't like the way they look. Uh, if you take a look at a stock 41 Buick skirt, it goes kind of up and then it the radius is kind of tight on the fur the top you know forward leaning edge and then it comes straight back the length of the rear fender and it kind of squares off almost at the back so it, it in my at least to my eye it messes up the flow of that part of the car and you know you have a fat fendered car especially if you're trying to make a traditional custom flow is everything 
you know, when you, like my dad used to say about a good custom, if you start with your eyes at the front of the car and then, you know, look over the car from the front bumper to the rear bumper, if at any point something stops your eye, like a piece of chrome or a body line or, you know, the way two lines or a seam and a fender comes together, if anything stops your eye from moving, you know, in a smooth flow from front bumper to back bumper, you fucked up. So for me, those stock 41 Buick skirts, when my eye got to the back of the car, the it just didn't look right at all. Uh, so I got with Scott and, you know, started looking for what we could do. And I came across these kind of generic, like optional skirts, but they're, they were still made of steel, which was important to me. I didn't want any fiberglass on the car. Uh, and they're, they're basically 40, 41 Ford or Mercury accessory skirts. And Scott and his guys modified them to fit uh, and then shot them. They're red oxide when they come out of the box, but he shot them with the same kind of grayish dark primer. Uh, so it matched the, you know, the fronts of the rear fender. So those are only two real custom things that I've done to it so far. Um, I've been shopping around uh, looking for a place to, to do a real mild chop, but I've got other irons in the fire. And to be honest, I'm at a point and it's kind of where we started, like what to do. I'm at a point where I'm, I'm really not driving it as much as I thought I would. And the reason is, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, uh, I really like taking my kids with me uh, when I drive somewhere. I put them in my Galaxy all the time. Uh, they're always with me in the truck. You know, whether it's just like taking them to school or picking them up from school or going to like a special event or dinner or date night, you know, with the girls. Uh, like, you know, doing all the regular shit. Like, I really like using my cars. And I had a couple close calls in the Buick where both time uh, somebody in a Prius just grenading the brakes in front of me or cutting me off. And I had to, you know, stomp on the brakes. And, you know, not that a, a Prius is a performance vehicle by any stretch, but it's, you know, the year 2000s technology brakes wise versus 1941 technology brakes wise. And I was definitely I didn't hit them either time. It was just a close call. And even though I had Scott put seatbelts in the 41 Buick, I just kind of lost the, the confidence to put my kids in it. And so when I take the Buick out, I normally roll solo, um, you know, or I take, I take my girl with me and we go to like the movies or go to dinner, like locally. I have driven it from, um, the furthest I've driven it has been about, an hour each way uh, from where I'm living to Woodland for the poor boy show and then back. And she's, she's not perfect, but she runs fantastic. And she looks, man, I feel like a million bucks when I'm driving that car. Like it's the interior is so nice and all the Bakelite plastics are there. And you know, the, the way the gauges look at night, man, it's just, it's a killer looking car, but you know, if, if I'm not driving it as much as I would want to, and I don't feel comfortable enjoying it with my kids, then, you know, do I really want to keep pursuing putting the money into it to make it that traditional custom that I had envisioned so many years ago? I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I own the car, you know, I'm not making payments on it or anything. So 
that's that's not in my way thankfully but i also have the two galaxies that i'm you know my 66 hardtop and my uh, my first car i still have a 66 convertible that's pretty rough um and then i've got trucky verde you know so i've got other projects i've got other things that i could use the money that i would use to put the to finish the buick you know i could put that money towards my other cars and be fine and you know if i sold the buick it's not like that money wouldn't go back into something you know one of the other cars or you know maybe buy a mo another motorcycle now that my kids are older or i don't know something else but yeah, the Buick is really the only car I have right now that I'm kind of on the fence about. And I no idea what she'd be worth these days. I've had some pretty interesting offers. Uh, the guy that owns the Electrocutioner, it's one of my favorite customs of the last probably 10 years. Uh, this, uh, yeah, I definitely recommend looking up. It's It was built by one of the guys in the, um, in the Beatniks beautiful two-tone kind of lavender and purple buick uh, he wanted my 41 and we kind of talked back and forth uh you know cash cash plus that that his buick against my buick and we kind of went back and forth on it ultimately uh my daughter you know took a look at and she liked his car just fine but she she's like dad that that car's not even green she knows all my cars are green so um i just didn't it didn't feel right you know plus the car was so his car was so goddamn nice and i knew that i there was just nothing i would do that would improve it and anywhere i drove it you know people would be like oh that's his car you know it would never be my car um and there's there are some cars that i would i would pick up you know with that kind of hanging over me but if i'm if i'm driving a car like i, I want people to be like okay that's his car um, so that was like another factor, but I ended up keeping, I still have the 41 Buick. It's in the garage. I take it out to cars and coffee every once in a while. If I'm not driving the, the truck, Trucky Verde or the galaxy. Um, but I, I gotta admit I'm, I'm on the fence. Uh, I think if the right offer came along or, you know, if somebody had the right trade, uh, had a guy with a really, really nice, 64 Impala come uh, came up on the interwebs and kind of went back and forth. You know, would I trade the the 64 for that 64 Impala? Um, I like 64 Impalas just fine. Um, I mean, how could you not? Growing up through the 90s, you know, it's like the the rap video icon, and it would be cool to own one. And it just also happened to be green, so it kind of felt like maybe maybe that would be a way to go. And, you know, it has the 60s, you know, technology, so it would be more compatible, more safe on the roads than my 1941 Buick. But it didn't didn't work out for whatever reason. But I'm, I'm definitely, I don't know, I'm on the fence. I'm thinking about it. Um, so that's my Buick, the 1941 Buick Super Coupe. Um, not sure what, it's really the only car I'm not sure about keeping um but well yeah we'll see i'm in no rush to sell it I, I love looking at it i love driving it around the neighborhood i love driving it when i do drive it but um, i'm not super comfortable putting the kids in it and yeah i know i could 
put disc brakes on it, you know, or I could call the roadster shop and have them build a chassis for it. And then it would have all new suspension and, you know, but then it's not what I wanted in the first place, you know, then I'm, it's no longer a traditional custom. It's going to be something else. And that, I mean, I'm sure that's what the next owner would probably do, but I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, I really wanted that experience of driving something the way that my grandfather or father, you know, would have experienced it back in the day. And, and I definitely got that. And it's, it's turned out to be a bit of a double-edged sword. So yeah, so that's the 41 Buick Super Coupe. Uh, beautiful car. If you ever see me at a show, you know, hit me up. I'll give you the tour. And yeah, I don't know. It That's, that's that car. <laughs> So first podcast of the year in the books. Uh, I'm really stoked. I feel like I'm getting off to a strong start. Hope you guys liked it. Uh, that's basically the state of my my vehicles minus Truckee Verde. Uh, I do apologize again. I will have a, a podcast about Truckee Verde specifically, hopefully coming soon. I'm hoping it will be my next one, but we'll see uh, when Matt and my schedules align. Um if you have any questions about, you know, the, any of the, any of my cars specifically, or, you know, anything that I covered, just let me know. And, uh, man, happy new year to all of you guys. I really, really appreciate again, uh, how much support you've shown. And, uh, I really enjoy interacting with you guys, seeing your projects, um, you know, reading your comments, going back and forth with you. It's, it's been a real pleasure, and I hope that I can continue earning space in your lives, not only through my Facebook or the website uh, or the Instagram and, you know, now podcast, but, you know, I really hope that we can grow. And if you like the podcast and, you know, do all the things, you know, rate it, share it, uh, tell a buddy, uh, I'd like to like to do better you know for you guys i want to i want to put out more of these um more consistently um, i'm shooting for one a month um hoping to do you know sometimes where i get two a month in and i think i'm on a good track for that so uh fingers crossed happy new year again i hope you guys are all doing well and uh here's to a good year <laughs>